With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Road and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Welcome in to another edition of Kicking It on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network, powered or fueled by Cody Road. Uh, we are not in the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Studios. We're actually at home because uh, scheduling conflicts. We had a guest from TCU. We had to kind of show me stuff around. We got a lot of, I mean, we, we got a lot of good stuff from a TCU insider, didn't we? I mean, how you doing, Grant? Your accent's a little stronger than his was, but That's a, I, it's, I'm playing it up a little bit. So yeah, we uh, we got a the, the two four seven reporter um, from Fort Worth down in Texas. Um, Give us some good insight. Yeah, it was actually really good. Um, so kicking it is brought to you by Kelder Manufacturing. Uh, I'm also I apologize. I'm going to try and mute my microphone here and there because I had a little uh, a little hay fever. People are using their it's got to be using the Kelderman down corn reel to just kick up all this harvest dust. And it's found its way into my nose and lungs, which it's, da- it's bad for me. But if people are harvesting all this corn, whether it's standing corn or it's down corn using the Kelderman manufacturing down corn reel, I mean, it's good for them. It's bad for me. It's kind of the season two. Where allergies are kind of, kind of bad. But So uh, I'm going to try and cough directly into the microphone and snort as much as I can just to make everyone here feel uncomfortable and those listeners feel uncomfortable. So Iowa state coming off a 50 to 20 loss at OU. Uh, We recorded fart earlier today and I'll, I'll bounce this off you grant. So I, Iowa state loses by 30 in the Ohio game. They lost by three. My frustration level or disappointment level is substantially less for this one than it was for the Ohio game. Is that how your feelings resonate for it, or, or what's your, your, what are the vibes you getting after this one? Yeah, I felt, uh, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on moral victories, you know, but um, Oklahoma's a seasoned team. Iowa State's a young team, and the season you know, they I, bought their half, half their freaking roster. Yep, they sure did. I think yeah. 13 of their starters are new incoming transfers from other Power Five schools into this year. Hey, I mean, that's, that, that's the world we're living in right now, you know? So I get it, you know, you know, Campbell's stubborn, which I, I'm fine with, you know, you recruit the right guys. You, you, you know, essentially telling yourself you don't need to go after guys in the portal. Um, I, I came away feeling okay though. You know, we, we were, we were down, Iowa state was down, um, I think 21, 21 point. It was or, uh, 21 to 21 point. And then when uh, Perkins got absolutely annihilated, it was 28 to 20. And that was really kind of the turning point. Um, I felt like we're, you know, kind of our, I wouldn't say our luck ran out, but the the, the tides had had shifted and yeah, Oklahoma turned it in, uh, put it in the gear. Well, and one of the things about playing in, playing in Norman, that's a bitch to try and play in that stadium. And like, it's, the, the fans are sitting right on you. It's a huge stadium. It's got, I think it's 80,000 seating capacity. Uh, the The fans are extremely knowledgeable and so when they need to be loud, they're going to be really, really loud. And then they're just going to sustain that noise for forever. And as much as we, it's annoying to everybody else, the band at Oklahoma and the, like whether the game day productions and stuff, they know how to keep the energy in the stadium. So 
as coach one of coach pope's phrases are my running back coach from when i was there is it's like a rolling ball of butch and abs like when that thing starts going it's really hard to stop and it's unless you're a really mature team like in 2017 and even in 2019 when they made when they almost won on that almost two-point conversion both of those teams were stacked with a bunch of veteran dudes who can kind of withstand the emotional wave well the Iowa State offense had a, a sophomore center snapping to a freshman quarterback, handing to three different or two different freshman running backs and two other sophomore running backs, throwing to a freshman tight end, saw, and then uh, a couple seasoned wide receivers, and wide receivers played pretty good. Uh, and then on the defensive side, you have a group of almost exclusively freshman linebackers with underclassmen on the defensive line. Most of them are underclassmen. And then you have three of your, th- excuse me, four of your secondary players that are in. And Malik Verdun is out. So you have another guy that's in there. So like, this is a super, super young team and an environment like that young teams then feel like in, when you get down by eight, you, every play has to be a touchdown. And then you get down by 14 or say 15 or whatever it was, then every play has to be worth 15 points. And you start pressing to that, which is why the second half, it feels like one of those things of, Hey, just relax. You cannot score more than eight points in any one drive. Just relax. And I think that was the thing that they got caught up in the second half, really the back part of the second quarter when that thing started to roll is they started trying to make every play the one that gets them back on in the game or gets them back on top. And it just, it, it, it felt like they were pressing, but the first half, that's what I sort of, what I think the Iowa state team is going to be for the rest of the year. Yeah. And I really felt like, you know, Iowa state was pressing, uh, like, like you said, you know, Oklahoma just, they're on a, they're on a different level. I mean, that, that offense is, is good. <clears throat> you know, Dylan Gabriel's one of the better, better quarterbacks in, in the country. He's a punk, though. I will say that. He's a punk. Yes. So that, I mean, on the field, and, and this is just exclusively on the field. I, I, yeah. I text a friend of mine who's actually from Oklahoma. He's an Oklahoma Sooner fan. I was like, Oklahoma is a damn good team, but they are a hard team to root for as a neutral party. Like, <sighs> yeah. if you're if you're not actively rooting for Oklahoma, it, they're a hard team to root for. But I will say this. So, like, Oklahoma for the back half of the year, one is – like two things can be true. One is when they're at their peak and that playing against Iowa State, that was about as good as that team is going to look. Uh, there are a few, a couple defensive lapses, like the, the Jaden Higgins touchdown, like that safety just whiffed, like that was a bad play and Iowa State made him pay for it. Uh, but when they're at their best and Dylan Gabriel is able to be that efficient, that offense is damn near impossible to stop. However, if for whatever reason he isn't on then this offense hinges around the fact that the quarterback is making on-time accurate decisions and delivering the ball where it needs to go. If he's not, you're in turbo mode. And if you're, so let's say they go first down run in, in a situation where it's not like clicking. It's first down run, they gain one yard, second and nine. They miss a pass because Gabriel might ha- be a little bit off here or there. Now you're third and nine. Now you got to wait for the routes to develop a little bit longer. You can't go in turbo pace. Well, the whole drive then, if you go even a first down or two and then you punt, whole drive took a minute and 12 seconds because you're going that fast. So Oklahoma, they're either going to get on this crazy roll and just fly down the field all the time, or it's going to be, I mean, they haven't necessarily approached that yet, but the style offense that they play if they run into a team that can match up with them outside and get a little bit of pressure on Gabriel, or if Gabriel's just fire, he, or he just woke up and had a little bit of an off day, that offense hinges around the fact that the quarterback is going to be right. So don't be surprised. I mean, Oklahoma, Texas this week is a huge game, huge game, two best teams, in the conference by a good ways, but whoever wins, it doesn't really matter. Don't be surprised if like week nine or something like that, Gabriel gets a little bit dinged up. He hurts his ankle and the next game, Oklahoma loses to, I don't know, Kansas or something like that, because again, everything ratchet or everything revolves around the quarterback being good. And if he's not, that whole thing stops, but he was incredible on Saturday. Yeah. And I hated that because he was so good. And after every play, he was chirping and he was, he trucked over our safeties. And I was like, okay, like that's not fun. Made I would say safety. Look, you know, get in the weight room. Get in the weight room, <laughs> me. Uh, isn't it? And, I don't know. This, so we, and again, we talked about this a little bit, so I don't want to rehash too much of what we talked about on fart, but uh, Malik Verdun being out was one of the things that really hurt Iowa state. So uh, how teams prepare is Oklahoma watched Oklahoma state film. And what were the things that got, uh, got to Iowa state's defense that Oklahoma state did. It was running to the alley slash outside 
away from Bo Freeler. Wherever Bo Freeler is, whether it's so if he's on the offensive right side, whatever your play call is, whether quarterback is to the left or running back ends up to the left, you're probably going to run that play to the left. You're not going to run it to Bo Freeler's side. Bo Freeler still had like a zillion tackles. But whoever the other person is, which at this point is Ben Nickel, awesome special teams player, decent or pretty good in pass coverage or pass situations. But in the run game, he's not quite up to snuff. He's He plays more like a, like a corner in the run game than he does like a safety. So he's not six, four, he's not six, four, two twenty, And so like you're Malik for being on that side is it's this, because of how much space this defense gives you, you have to be good in those alleys. So one is running to the alleys and, and whoever was in there, whether it's Ben nickel or Jamison Patton or, or Deshaun Crawford, it doesn't really matter who is there, who is on the field, who's the opposite of Bo Freeler. They didn't fit as well as Malik for which is like, you know, you didn't shoot as well as play Thompson. Like, it's, it's not a, a knock on them. It's just how good seven is. And then the other thing is that they were trying to pick on because the run, the, the safeties had to be so committed to the run because they had, they weren't as naturally good at it. Uh, Miles purchase was in one-on-one land the entire game because the safeties couldn't just like back up and play whatever they wanted to. Cause if Malik Verdun or Bo Freeler on either side, if they go backwards to try and, stay behind something and realize it's a run that can come up run fit it to it's a three yard gain big deal so whoever the other safety is doesn't have that so like this whole defense with malik verdun out oklahoma what oklahoma state had success on oklahoma doubled down on and we'll see if tcu is able to take advantage of it and also what seven's health is coming into this year or coming into this week because they're going to have to either make some changes schematically and what they're doing if he's not able to go or uh, they're going to have to demand a lot more, find somebody who's a lot better in the run fits for this, that, for that safety position than what they've been getting so far. Yeah. And I saw that Verdon was out there a couple of times. I'm not sure why he, I think he's got a load management thing. Cause it's a strained muscle is what his injury was. I think, I don't think groin or hamstring. And so like, I don't think they just, I think they would just want to preserve the amount, especially because Oklahoma goes like this. So you put a guy out there and you can't substitute because they don't substitute and they're running a play every five seconds that, a, a strained muscle is very quickly going to snowball into something worse. So I'm guessing it was a load management issue why they didn't want to put him out there against that particular offense. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, the, the trainers can get him going and we can get him back for TCU. Get uh, it going Coberly. Yeah. So let, let's dive into the, let's dive into the, uh, the, the special teams. I'll, you want to talk about the good or the bad first? So uh, let's uh, statistics, hidden yards. What do we got? What do you think? I was hoping to miss this part of it. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I feel like I would say got their ass kicked in, in a lot of the aspects of the game. Um, blocked punt, too. That's that's going to swing it. I'm going to say that Oklahoma was – they punted once, I think. Uh, kicked off a lot. I'm going to say that Oklahoma was hmm, plus 112. Minus 42. Iowa State was minus 42 in hidden yardage. Now, the reason why that statistic is a lot closer is because – uh, you don't want to trot your kick return team out there nine times. Not ideal. Put your kick return team out nine times. Every single one of those was a touchback. So Iowa State started in the 25. The worst starting field position that Iowa State has on their own 20. They started no further back than their own 20 versus Oklahoma. Outside of the interceptions, they started outside of interceptions and touchbacks. They started on their own 15, their own 21, and their own 17. So, and the own 37 was another one. So you, they, Perkins still did his job when he got the, once he actually got the ball off, which not exactly great. Uh, but either way, like the special teams on mass didn't do that poorly. And Contreras had another good week, even though the snap was shit and still managed to bang the kick through. Uh, but the main thing that sticks out from special teams is the blocked punt. Let's talk about the field goals first. So, Contreras was two for two, and I, I talked to one of my buddies during the game. Before before his kick, I was like, man, Oklahoma's a tough place to kick. And then Contreras goes out there and kicks two, and I responded back to him. I go, maybe I just sucked. Maybe I just sucked. <laughs> maybe so I'm much, not good at It wasn't so much an Oklahoma thing as it was a Grant Mahoney sucked at Oklahoma thing. Um, so the punt, um, the, the elephant in the room, the one that got blocked, uh, really smart schematic um, game planning by Oklahoma. 
they had one guy coming through the line. Iowa State had two upbacks. The guy that they had coming through the line occupied, if, if you are Iowa State, if you're Perkins, Oklahoma's guy came to the line, occupied the right up back, which allowed the guy to come free from that right side to block it. And when you are attacking a right-footed punter, that is the way you want to go. Um, let me take it back for a second. So had the left up back taken the guy that came through the line, the right up back could have then shifted over and taken the guy who was bleeding through. And that's how it should have been blocked since there was only two guys coming. Uh, but since the right up back occupied the, the, rusher that's coming through the line that's that's what allowed the other free guy to come through shave off the, the outbacks um shoulder and destroy persons um now when you go to block a punt that is the way you want to go when you are the the team blocking the punt you want to attack the kicking foot the kicking leg side because um if they are not able to get home as quickly as oklahoma was if you're able just to run by the guy it's a lot easier to run by the punter and just stick your arm out to get a finger on the ball or get your hand on the ball or just completely avoid the punter. Whereas if you're coming from the punter's non-kick leg side, so in, in Iowa State's case and Perkins' case, if you're coming from the left side, you have to cross the, the, the punter's body. Which is a huge leg. risk. Huge risk because if you don't you hit his home, And you hit his leg because it's it's roughing if you hit that yep. up leg. Yeah, which is that, that's why it's easier to, to come from the, the punting side. Um, like I said, just to stick your hand out, or in this case, just absolutely destroy the punter. Um, and then luckily he chucked it through the back of the end zone, which was nice. Yeah. So I, I think that was, it was something smart that Oklahoma saw on film. Um, but I think that will be clean, cleaned up by Iowa State. It should be, um, you know, the, the, the guy that did block it, he was slightly, slightly delayed too. Um, so it, it's a bang, bang play. So you can't blame Iowa State's outbacks for, you know, not shifting over, not taking those guys. But, um, you know, I think that is something that needs to be cleaned up in the, you know, in, in the film room, if you see someone coming through from the right side, no one from the left side, the left up back has to take that guy. So then the right guy, the right up back can, you know, collect anybody outside of that guy. Yeah, that uh, that up back. So so the, the easy way to solve that is just like, don't leave any secrets. That's one of the things about blocking for special teams, especially on punt, is don't leave a secret. Literally point at the guy you're going to block. Be like, I've got number 42. And so one of the things, because Shane Burnham was the one that was coaching our special teams and was very good at communicating this, was I don't care who you block. I mean, there, there's obviously rules, but like I don't care who you block. As long as everybody blocks one, we're all blocked up. Meaning if there's if there, a guy is slightly off, then I point at the guy that's on the line of scrimmage and say, I'm blocking him. And if I'm the guard, the person that's right next to the punter, I say, I'm blocking him. And then the tackle says, I'm blocking this next guy. Well, if there's one person in between them, then the upbacks know that that guy is unaccounted for. I'm going to block him. Yep. And so then you just communicate. It doesn't really matter who you have. You just have to be really demonstrative in blocking that. Because I don't give a shit if you know who, that I'm blocking you. Like, you're, there's only one punter, and he's going to get the ball off in two seconds. Like, you don't have time to do a swim move or a spin move to try and get to the punter. If, you st if I stop your momentum, point blank period, ball's gone. So the ability that uh, to like make it a secret doesn't really change too much of the effectiveness. So like just being really communicative of I've got this guy, I've got this guy. It feels like that there's an easy communication mechanism because it's just the shield's job to make you right. And they just might not have gotten that communication down. It's also really freaking loud. So if they just do everything audi audibly of saying, I've got 26, I've got 26. Well, dude's, seven yards behind me, let alone two feet behind me, can't hear that. So, yeah, it, it is an operational thing that could be cleaned up if they need to. Yeah, and, and you kind of touched on, not to bounce around, but you kind of touched on the field goal, too, about, you know, there there was a bad snap in there, and I'd mentioned it in the last, I think the last pod, that uh, we've kind of got a, a, a snapping issue um, going on right now, but I'm really glad the Contreras bounced back, and I'm glad that Perkins bounced back, too. I was afraid that as hard as he got hit, that he might might have been injured. I mean, I didn't. Hunters don't get touched very much, so tough kid. He's a tough kid. That's you tough know, kid, man. I'm surprised he played hockey. He looks like he. I mean, he kind of has the look of maybe a hockey player. I mean, you look like a hockey player, or like a goalie. You just underneath the pads. Goalies in hockey actually, they are pretty skinny sometimes. You think goalies are kind of fat, but it's like no, they gotta be skinny and limber. He's know? super skinny. Yeah. So that's really all I've got for you know. There wasn't a whole lot for as far as returns go. Like you said, they're all touchbacks. Um, we had some punts that, yeah, just fair caught. So there wasn't, outside of the black punt, there wasn't a whole lot of like 
I guess, special, special teams. Um, they held their own for the most part. Good field goals. Yeah, special teams wise. I mean, we talked, like I said, we talked a lot about it on Fart about what happened for the rest of the game. Um, so I think the, the more meat of the bones on the show, I mean, so we can talk about like TCU, like what are your expectations? I mean, because we, we record this segment after talking to, let's actually save that. Let's, let's just give the audience an idea of what we're going to be talking about, and then we'll close it out afterwards. So um, this is going to be Jeremy Clark with 247. Um, we're going to be, this is going to be the Goldfinch Athletics interview of the week. Uh, also with Goldfinch Athletics, we are running a partner week special. So if you're near any either our Ankeny or Huxley location, we have a free week. Everything is done with a buddy. So if you want to come in and just try, I don't know, exercise for the first time, whether it's first thing off the couch or kind of challenge yourself to something new. Uh, for our adult fitness classes, we have those. They are like I said, partner week. Go to goldfinchathletics.com if you want to register. So we're going to be Jeremy Clark with TCU's 247 on Kicking It. Kick it! All right, we welcome in now Jeremy Clark with 247 covering TCU. Jeremy, thanks for uh, taking the time to, to speak with us today. You bet, guys. Looking forward to it. I feel like uh, you have very rare qualifications because you've been covering TCU since a while. So we were talking kind of before we started recording, you just missed LaDainian Tomlinson. Like that's kind of where, that's the the level of consistency we're, we're bringing onto the program. Yeah. I mean, LT, any, anyone that's covered TCU or even been a fan of TCU. I mean, he's the guy, he's the dude. He is TCU's version of LT. Everyone thinks Lawrence Taylor, but TCU, when they hear LT, they're thinking of LaDainian Tomlinson. But I, I did see, I was actually crazy story as a fan I was in the stadium the day he rushed for 406 yards against UTEP. So that was crazy. And, and, the, and the crazy thing about LT, and this is goes back all the way to Gary Patterson, how he recruits these two and three star players and developed them. LT, I think, had three total offers out of high school. So just another feather in the cap for ex-TCU coach Gary Patterson to, to have a guy that was lowly recruited end up doing big things. NFL Hall of Fame, matter of fact. Yeah, that's a... Uh... Not not to make you feel like a, a second choice, Jeremy, but I did reach out to Ladainian Tomlinson first to see if he could jump on. I did not get a response. Well, hopefully, I don't disappoint. <laughs> I see. LT, I, the when I was in like I don't know junior high, I wanted to do the uh, the head behind the or hand behind the head yeah. kind of a little the flick, just the, the coolest touch, the cleanest cleanest touchdown celebration of all time. Uh, was not near as athletic. As Ladainian Tomlinson, different running styles. A lot. I was a lot more Javorski Lane, a lot less Ladainian Tomlinson. <laughs> Um, so you've been covering, I, I guess there's a couple of things that like TCU just as a storyline is really interesting for me from last year to this year, because there's so much that was lost from last year's national runner up team, Duggan gone, Quentin Johnson gone, uh, the your, Miller, the running back, gone. Miller. your, uh, the offense coordinator gone, Trey uh, they've been brought back in or like the, the, the offense isn't, you know, nothing but they've not had the same like explosive success. What are the expectations of like TCU fans relative to this past year? And like, how have they been taking, like how have they been taking this season because it's not, you know, undefeated blowing teams out or, you know, this crazy offensive explosion, like it was last year. Right. I mean, the expectations are high. I mean, after you play in the national championship game, the, the level's going to be raised. The bar is going to be raised high. And, and just looking at this year's version of the offense, you're right. They lost a lot of big names. You lose Doug in the Iowa native. You lose Kendra Miller. You lose Quentin Johnson, first-round draft pick. But one name you didn't mention, and, and, and it's a name that I always bring up because I think when we look at football games, guys, you look at the trenches. You look at your offensive line, defensive line. Steve Avila was a humongous loss for this team last year uh, as an offensive lineman. He's a guy that could play center, could play guard. He was a second-round pick. Alongside Steve, you had Alon Ali, who actually played center for TCU last year. He played in six years of college football. He was a six-year, had that COVID year, played six years of college football, played five years at SMU, followed Sonny Docks and his staff over to TCU when they came over. And then you had Wes Harris, who was another fifth or sixth-year senior that was playing right guard. So you think about that interior of the offensive line. They played like, God, my math's terrible, but I'm thinking probably around 150 games collectively in their careers. And so when you look at some of the things that TCU is missing on this year, you got to really start up front. You look last week, pop in that West Virginia game, and you're going to see an offensive line that just purely got dominated. But I look at 
what Kendall's done, Kendall Browse, the new offensive coordinator, he wants to run the football. He wants to get the tight ends involved, does a lot of 11 and 12 personnel. If you look back at when Baylor was in their heyday, 2014, 2015, when they were running the football well and they were also throwing vertically to Katie Cannon and Corey Coleman, those speedster guys, that's kind of what he's wanting to bring to TCU. They just don't have those weapons at receiver right now, and they're not really deep along the uh, running back group besides Imani Bailey, and you have an offensive line that really isn't experienced right now. So to make this long answer shorter, I think the expectations coming into this season, I think we're a little bit higher. And right now, the biggest question mark right now, especially after that uh, loss to West Virginia last week, is where the heck is the identity on offense? What is this team? Yeah, because, I mean, you lose – it's like the the first family of offense is the Riley brothers. You lose half of that, and then you bring in – I mean, all like the, the bringing in a Bryles, if you remove the personal stuff that happened at Baylor, kind of the off-the-field stuff, which, you know, that is another storyline, but like the way that they ran offense, if I could design an offense, it would be that one because it makes so much sense. And so, like, the difficulty of implementing that, you know, because you talk about, you know, guys like Katie Cannon and uh, Coleman and, you know, who all all the rest of the quarterbacks, doesn't matter which quarterbacks throw, or all the rest of the receivers, doesn't matter which quarterbacks throw into them, you spread the field. It's like what Tennessee's doing with Josh Heupel. It's a ton of spacing. It's a ton of vertical threat. And you got to have a quarterback that can run around enough to make it a reasonable threat. But the, the defense has to defend 52 and a half and, like, everything all the way to the end zone. Has that just – you're mentioning it's kind of the wide receivers and offensive line. Um, have there been times when that offense has clicked, or has it always been sort of like a hit or miss the entire season? It's kind of been hit or miss the entire season. I don't think we've had a game where we've seen them put it all together. If you go back and look at that Colorado game, they scored a lot of points. They lost 45-42. They had 562 yards of total offense. So at that point, you're thinking, okay, this is a, this is a team that clicked. But you also look at that game and you saw Chandler Morris throw two interceptions in the red zone. One was at the five-yard line, and then you saw them miss a field goal. So they're immediately missing 17 points off the board if they just make good decisions. And and, and really, both those receivers were wide open on, on those plays where he threw those interceptions. And Travis Hunter just did a phenomenal job, job of baiting him into one of those interceptions. But there's there's been times this year where they are so good between the 20s. And then once they hit that red zone, it's it's mistake after mistake, whether it's a play call, whether it's ex- execution. Um, the kind of the running thing that we look at right now as the media for TCU and even as a, as, as a fan base is when they get in these shorter situations, they're running a jet sweep or they're trying to do a reverse. And all of a sudden, a second short becomes a third and long or a first and short becomes a second and long. And it's just it's. I tell everyone, I give Kendall Browse before this West Virginia game, I was giving him a, a pretty good A, high A, mid A. You, you want to talk numbers? I give him a 90 average. But overall, I think you got to look at the inconsistencies with them in the red zone. They're just, they're not producing, whether it's turnovers, whether it's turnovers on downs, there's, there's just something that hasn't clicked for them offensively for them to generate points. And, and even going back to last week against West Virginia, I'm sitting there in the press box at halftime, scratching my head, trying to figure out how in the heck is this game not 28 to seven at this point? There, there's just so many things being left on the field and what we say meat on the bone. There's so much meat being left on the bone for this offense right now. And Sonny Dykes, I mean, he'll tell you straight up that the offense is, is not clicking. They're not consistent. We don't know if it's a receiver rotation. We don't know if it's Chandler being mostly inconsistent last week. We figured out pretty early it was the offensive line that was just getting blasted. You only your leading rusher in the Big 12 averaged 2.9 yards per carry, and you gave up five sacks. So that should tell you right there the offensive line struggled mightily against West Virginia. So, I you know I it's it's tough to to uh, put a put a finger on it, but I, I would definitely say through five games this offense is definitely hit or miss. And even Sonny Dykes said today we don't have an identity on that side of the ball. Yeah, and seeing the score of the the West Virginia game was it was surprising to me. You know, people are saying that Neil Brown's fighting for his job, and you know TCU coming off of you know national championship game. You know, I expected TCU to win the game, and um, obviously it didn't. But um, you, you've talked about Chandler Morris, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. He started the year last year, got hurt, and then 
Iowa native Max Duggan came in, took college football by storm. What um what what more can you tell us about Chandler Morris? We well, you know what 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 kind of uh, what kind of style does he have? Is he a dual threat or is he like to sit back in the pocket? Chandler is a definite definite dual threat guy. If you look at his highlights from high school, he ran for a lot of yards, threw for a lot of yards, played for one of the more prominent high school programs in Texas at Highland Park there in Dallas. And and really what led him to win in the uh, the, the quarterback battle last year was just the consistency through fall camp. If you talk to Sonny Docks, they they just said there was way more consistency with the offense. It clicked more with Chandler Morris. And then obviously you go out there and, and play start against Colorado. He struggled a little bit, started to make some plays in the second half, and then boom, he gets hurt. And who would have known? I mean, I covered Max for a long time ever since he was at Lewis Central there in, uh, there in Iowa, Council Bluffs. So I always knew Max had talent, but I'd be lying to you if I told you he's going to make it to New York and be a Heisman candidate because there was plays during Max's career where you're just like, man, that kid can do anything he wants to. He can make any throw. He's run. He's a tough. He's got the heart of a lion. But there's other times you just scratch your head and figure, just say to yourself, how in the world is this guy starting a quarterback? So when you look at Chandler, it wasn't one of those deals where you're thinking he's going to have to set the world on fire to be better than Max. He, he had already proven that last year. He's got a good arm. He's he's shown flashes against Colorado. He struggled against Nichols. He was almost perfect. He went 26 to 30. Two of those draw, two of those incompletions were drops. So he could have essentially been 28 to 30. You go down to Houston. He completes the deep ball, throws two beautiful touchdown passes, starts running more. That's one thing that he did not do against Colorado. He didn't, he wasn't confident. He's coming off a major injury, and everyone that follows football knows a lot of that coming back from an injury, a lot of it has to do with your mental state. And he just didn't have that confidence to go out there and run the football. And so against Nichols, he started to make those plays more with his feet, got hit a couple times, got up, figured out, hey, I can get hit and not get hurt. So I'm good at this running, running the football stuff. Started to gain that confidence back a little bit more against Houston, ran really well against SMU. And, and actually last week against West Virginia, he ran really well. That third quarter, where whatever happened to halftime, someone stole Chandler Morris's body and put some frat guy's body in his suit. I don't, I don't, I don't in his uniform. I don't know because that wasn't the Chandler Morris that we had seen the last three games and, and really against the first half of West Virginia. So I, I think he's he's definitely a dual threat. Struggles a little bit throwing the deep ball. Um, stays in the pocket a little bit too long sometimes. That's kind of a weakness for him too, but. When he's running the RPO and he's he's making reads, you've got to you've got to be aware of him because he's a guy that can turn a, a ten yard gain into a quick thirty yard gain and maybe even run it in for a thirty yard touchdown. He's got that kind of ability. Well, that's what really killed Iowa State. You know, last week we had chances for you know just to, to stop Oklahoma and uh, Dylan Gabriel just take off running and he had like two two rushing touchdowns and he including just, trucking a safety which was cool uh, that was yeah. fun it's really it's good to watch yeah. when you get a safety <laughs> trucked on the two yard line um though i think the last thing that i was curious about in the offense so jared wiley i was looking for nick because uh, as a tight end he was he's kind of the of the prominent receiving threats or prominent offensive weapons from last year to this year that stayed has his production been like how has his production changed from last year to this year beyond like just the straight box score stuff I mean, Kendall Browse wants to get the tight ends involved. That's the first thing we learned when we went out to spring camp and started watching that offense. You learned there's going to be more tempo. They're going to run, I think, right now, they're ranked second or third in the nation in plays per minute. So the tempo was definitely going to change. But the second thing that immediately stood out to me was how many passes were going toward the tight ends. Uh, Jared Wiley, he's, I mean, you guys up at Iowa State love tight ends. I mean, I am straight we do. Typically, I mean, six, 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 seven tight ends. You guys have three of them, and they're, they keep coming. But um, Jared kind of reminds me of those old Iowa State tight ends. He's just a big physical guy, has kind of deceptive speed. He does a good job of getting open. But what I, what I like about Kendall is just the involvement of the tight end because there for a while, tight end was like Bigfoot. You didn't know if it exist, existed or not. Um, for TCU's offense because they never really utilize them. But that's what Kendall Browse does uh, a very good job at is, is utilizing us, utilizing Jared. He had two touchdowns against SMU. Chase Curtis is another guy to keep an eye on, guys, because Chase has kind of stepped in uh, to fill in that role behind Jared. He's another 6'5", 
close to six six kid, two thirty five, two forty. Not very, not very uh, fast. He's not as fast as Jared, but he can get open. He can make plays. He's a very good blocker. Um, another athletic guy. So they're they're going to put some size out there at tight end. You're going to see them run some twelve personnel and get both those guys involved. So l- looking at the transfer portal, um, I know TCU brought in a bunch of, a bunch of guys this year, like fourteen or fifteen guys. Most of them on the offensive side. One of the guys is Trey Sanders from Alabama, who I think was one of the top you know, running backs in his class. Uh, but, you know, we, we've already talked about, um, you know, the leading rusher for TCU, uh, Imani Bailey. So I guess what's – my first question is what's going on with Sanders? Is he, is he hurt? Is he just outplayed? Um, and secondly, um, you know, what, what 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 does Bailey bring to the table? Uh, starting with Sanders, there's – you know, he came off some pretty big, significant injuries at Alabama, didn't – didn't play a whole lot. Everyone kind of remembers the car crash. He was, you know, had a setback with that. Why is it Alabama? He was the number one guy in his class. I think he was, I might think he was the number one overall recruit at one point. But, you know, when he got to TCU, fall camp was really, really good, made some good plays, but they started to kind of have to do some load management with them. They want to put too much on them. And so that's kind of carried over to the, to the real games. They'll they'll bring him in in certain situations. He's a hard runner. He's not he's not going to run past anyone. He will try to jump over someone. He's hurdled a couple of guys this year, but it's he's, like he's Grant. He's 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 an he's an athletic back. Uh, but there's a reason why Monty Bailey starts. Monty Bailey is kind of the electric guy of this offense. He's kind of the Swiss Army knife at running back. He can run the ball. He can catch the ball. He's a very good blocker. And what I like about Imani Bailey is he just doesn't hesitate. He gets the ball. He tries to find the running lane as fast as he can. He's not going to dance around. He's he's not a real big, tall guy. He's 5'9", maybe 205, but he will try to run over people. But he's got that speed about him. He's got some explosiveness. He can break off a a 75, 80-yard run at the drop of a hat. And so I I think when you look at his, his production this year, it was it was very disappointing when you look at West Virginia's box score from last week because he only averaged two point nine a carry, and prior to that he was averaging nearly seven yards per carry. And I really don't put a lot of that blame on him. I I, I put it more toward the play of the offensive line. But Amani Bailey is right now. If I was to name a guy that has been the biggest surprise to me this year, I would definitely put him at the top of the list just because he's he's made so many plays and. He's becoming a fan favorite, and there's been two games already where he's carried the ball more than 20 times this year. And when you talked to Sonny Docks before the start of the season, this was going to be a, you know, the phrase we all hear, running back by committee or whatever position by committee. And it has been anything but by committee with Imani Bailey. He's become that guy. He's the featured back. And right now he's he's the thing that makes TCU's offense go. So defensively, uh, flip over to the other side of the ball. Is it Hodges? Is the neck roll guy? Did he get Hodges fired? Did he get fired, or is he? Uh... <laughs> no. Um, so Hodges, I, I know we talked about this before. Um, Hodges is kind of he's listed as day to day, but I don't think he's going to be back for another. Oh, few okay. Years. I don't think. I, I haven't, haven't seen him. him. Haven't seen him out there. Yeah, he's and, and it's kind of been a it's kind of been a big loss for them. He's he's not the fastest, he's not the biggest, but I would say if you if you look at football, you want to find instinctive players. You want to he's find got, a middle linebacker with a neck roll. That's what you yes. want to find. Yeah, <laughs> he's your classic. He's your classic big, big Ten linebacker. You know, just plays between the tackles really well. Kind of where his struggles are or outside the outside the box where he start he has to cover some slot receivers, but. He's very instinctive, um, makes a lot of plays. I mean, he was preseason all Big 12 for a reason. So that's been kind of a big loss. But I'll tell you what, Shad Banks, Shad Banks is, if you go back to that 20, I think it was 2021 class, you look up Shad Banks on 24-7 and you're going to see a four-star receiver. Oh. He's 6'1", six, he's six 250 pounds now. That's a big receiver. <laughs> yeah, he's, well, he went to AM, lasted a semester, and decided I'm gonna I want to transfer. And he transferred in when Gary Patterson was still the coach, and they immediately made him into a linebacker because he was so athletic and he played some defense in high school. But Shad is 
another i think if his instincts were as good as johnny he would probably be the starter but he's more athletic he's he's gonna be able to cover receivers out of the, at the slot he's gonna be able to cover uh running backs out of the backfield he's a hard hitter if you remember two years ago when tcu when when uh they parted ways with gary patterson and they played top 10 baylor that week and no one expected tcu to go out there and win that game lo and behold they upset him well the guy making the the final play of the game to to secure the win for TCU with Shad Banks. He intercepted the pass from Baylor. And uh, so he's played He's played quite a bit of football the last two years. He's not – people ask, is is without Johnny out there, is it a huge drop-off? I, I really don't consider it a huge drop-off. And I love Johnny Hodges. I, I love those hard-nosed players that just love to go out and play football. He's got a great story. No, He transferred from the Navy. No one wanted him. No, Absolutely no one wanted Johnny Hodges. But the team that he – the two teams he had his best – games against when he was at Navy, SMU and Tulsa. Well, SMU, Sonny Docks was the coach at Tulsa. Joe Gillespie was the defensive coordinator. So when they see his name pop up in the transfer portal, we got to get that guy. He's coming here. They offered him, and Johnny played coy about it, but he told us all at media one day, I knew I was going to TCU, but I had that cool, like I had <laughs> but I knew I was going to TCU as soon as they called me. But Johnny's a good kid, and, and, and we love him in the media because he tells it how it is. I mean, he he will not hold back. And um, I, I think right now as a leader, it's kind of hurting uh, their team overall. But I, I really feel confident with, with how uh, Chad Banks is playing in his role right now. You got to love those military guys. I feel like they're all just, you know, they're usually hard-nosed dudes. So that, that shouldn't be a surprise that, you know, one of your better linebackers transfers into a military guy. So you had, you had Johnny Hodges, and I see last game, Jamoy, is that how you pronounce him? His first name, Jamoy Hodge. Yeah, Jamoy Hodge. Was, was your was your leading tackler. So Hodge is out, Hodge in. Um, what, what's your guys' – I know I know TCU, um, you know, Trey Tomlinson was was a stud for you guys last year. Um, and I feel like the, the, the D-backs as a whole was, you know, they, they were a really strong part. I mean, TCU was good all over last year, but I feel like the D-backs were a really strong part. Um, of TCU's game last year, how, how are the you know the cornerbacks and the safeties this year? Well, if you take away Colorado, they've played really, really well um, against Colorado. There was not a there was not yeah, a. What the hell happened? Like, was yeah. it like overlooking somebody, or is it just like a? They, I mean, granted, to be fair, you have no idea what they're going to bring to the table because you're exactly. watching Jackson State film, kind of with some other stuff, kind of, but like. Yeah, I was but, curious. Like, what the hell the, happened with that game? The, the best way I can describe that game against Colorado is: imagine when you're preparing for a team, you have to watch film. Where they're watching Colorado, they're watching 500 feet of film because you have new coaches, you have so many new players, so you have to watch so many different schools, so many different schemes. You have to watch so much film. Nebraska had to watch 10 feet of film. USC, 10 feet of film. They they all had one game of film to prepare on, whereas TCU, like you said, Jeff, they're they're coming into it sight unseen. They really don't know what they're running into. They they know kind of the schemes, but they don't know player personnel. They didn't. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I did not think Shador Sanders was going to throw the ball like he did. But Shador Sanders threw the ball really well, made really good decisions. They didn't get a lot of pressure on him, which, you know, I don't know if that would have changed the game, but – is, and it's like I said at the beginning of the of the show, as bad as they played, they still had a chance to win that game on the final drive. Same thing last week against West Virginia. That's the difference this year compared to last year. If you look at last year's schedule, guys, they weren't blowing out anyone. They beat Oklahoma pretty good, and they beat Iowa State pretty good. But if you look at other games, go back and watch those games. Yeah, it was, com- it was comeback games. It was, it was they, Doug and being a dude in the second half. They, they very that team that made it to the national championship team very easily could have been eight and four, seven and five. So the the fortune that they had last year has been completely flipped. Now you're losing those games that you're driving in with a chance to win late in the game. But um, when we looked at this season, back to your question about defense and you know how they played the secondary, that was the strength. They had seven guys returning from last year. Everyone thought, okay, well, if Kendall Browse can show some sort of offense, they're going to be really good again. Well, we saw a lot of deficiencies. We saw a secondary that didn't play well. Josh Newton didn't play well. The safeties didn't play well. Absolutely no pressure from the defensive line. Now uh, they kind of flipped the script. 
They played a lot better against Nichols, which is an FCS team. But what I really liked was how they played against Houston. It's it's a it's a Big 12 team. Yeah, they're at the bottom of the Big 12, but it's still a pretty athletic team. They have athletic receivers. They have a serviceable quarterback in Donovan Smith. And then last uh, two weeks ago against SMU, I mean, if you look at SMU, they you talk about TCU going heavy in the transfer portal. Their whole roster is transfer portal guys, almost like Colorado. I mean, they get pretty much any Dallas player that comes home from a P5 school, he's going to SMU most of the time. So their roster is pretty loaded. So for TCU to go out and win that game convincingly like they did by 17 points, that was what was real impressive to me. And it just it, it, it's so crazy because they had that momentum, one by 23 at Houston, one by 17 at home to SMU. You're going against a West Virginia team that can't score. They got a pretty decent defense, but then you go out there their defense did, you know, a solid job. They gave up 21 points, which is more than West Virginia was averaging. But those games have been won this year because your offense have been, has been averaging 38 points. But defense, I, 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 they've gotten a lot better. I'll say that. They've gotten so much better from week one to where they are now. I think going into West Virginia, they were second in the nation in total sacks. I think they had 16. They didn't get any against West Virginia. They, they have dialed up some pressure. Gillespie's dialed up some different blitzes. Their defensive line, Paul, you're going to have to remember this name because it's hard to pronounce, but you're going to see his number. He's number 97. He looks like the first kid off the bus. His name is Paul Oyewale. Oyewale? Yeah, That's Oyewale. A, so he's a redshirt freshman. Football name there. Yes, he's, and he's, he's, he's a young guy. He's a redshirt freshman. He's physically – probably the most impressive player on their roster. He, he's, he just looks like he was built in a lab. But he's got three sacks already, so he's he's started to play really well. Dominic Williams is playing really well at nose tackle, but I, I think TCU's defense has started to play more consistently, and we're starting to kind of see an identity with them. Um, and I think that's you'll see a good defense in names on Saturday. I think they're going to be able to limit the big plays. And they play that three three five, right? Like predominantly, they're 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 playing the the Iowa State. They're playing the John. Thanks a. to you guys. Defense. Yeah, thanks to you guys. Everyone wants to run three three five now. You're welcome. And that's it, it's so it's so funny because following the team as long as I have, you know, I'm used to seeing TCU recruit. Gary Patterson would recruit four two five. Yeah, we're in the four two five for forever. It's Gary yeah. Patterson's defense four two five. No matter what, you find the guys that fit four two five. You're going to get yeah. stud corners, stud safeties. You're going to get a pass rusher uh, that's going to be on one of the sides, and then you just have some guys in the middle. But four two five always. You have a guy. Yeah, you you're, you're you're talking to a guy that's used to seeing recruit uh, defensive ends that were recruited that were six three two hundred and ten pounds, and they got they got to 240, 235 in in, in college and. You know, five foot nine cornerbacks. Gary Patterson did not care how big his cornerbacks were. Now they recruit six one, six two. So everyone started to see success with the three three five at Iowa State, especially guys like Will McDonald, those big old defensive ends that they have. And now they're recruiting those six four, six five, two hundred and eighty pound defensive end types. And so it's been crazy to see how quick the turnover has been from a roster standpoint to what it looked like two years ago. So now, Jeremy, this is the time of the show. We get down to the meat potatoes. Uh, we are called most important kicking. stuff. Most important most stuff important of, the, stuff. of the show. Because I'm I'm a former kicker, and Jeff uh, cut his teeth on special teams. So let's dive into it. What should we expect with TCU's kicker and punter? <laughs> special teams. It hasn't been special for TCU this year. Good enough. Hey, we got a pump block last week. So I promise you, uh, they had three missed field goals last week. Um, there's a mutiny going on between the fan base and, you know, who they want back at punt returner right now because the punt return game with JoJo Earl, an Alabama transfer, hasn't been really successful. Uh, punting game's been been average. They've struggled on special teams, kickoff coverage. Special teams, like I said, it hasn't been, it hasn't been very good at all uh, right now. And I think last week, I will give Griffin some credit because he's attempted more 50-yard field goal attempts this year than he had his previous four years combined. So he's he's not known to have a big leg, but he's known to have accuracy. Those two kicks he had in the fourth quarter last week, there's no chance though they would have made it. They were kicked basically at the back of TCU players. They were going to be blocked no matter what. So I don't know if there's a confidence level in him right now where he's he's not feeling too good about himself. He could be the golfer on the tee box knowing he's going to hook it or slice it as soon as he tries to get up there for a perfect drive. 
I don't know. And, you know, kicker, kickers' mentalities are different from everyone else's. But, yeah, I, I would definitely say uh, basically every phase of special teams is a very big concern for TCU right now. It's good to know, man. It's good to know. <laughs> it is good to know because we have been – Iowa State has been good for the majority of the year, but – But the, the misses have been huge. Like, that's the thing. So, Iowa State has either been really, really good or – absolute dumpster fire on certain plays like there's it's either a 57 yard punt or it gets blocked there's no 36 yard punts so it's never okay it's always really really good or really really bad so hopefully there's for iowa state's sake there's more good than bad but you know we're just looking for some made kicks and some some damn good punts that's what we're shooting for in this show that's right well we appreciate your time jeremy thanks so much for hopping on with us um do you have any any parting words before we let you go I'm glad it's going to be cooler up in Iowa than it has been down here in Texas. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to some good Iowa food and uh, looking for a good ball game, man. I think both of both the fan bases really don't know what their teams are. So one of us will be in, a, in for a surprise by Saturday night around 1030. Gotta, I'm not sure if you've seen too what uh, New Jersey's the, man there. Yeah. The uniforms that Iowa State's wearing. So it's the, look, look forward to that. <laughs> Yeah, they're nice. Um, they're they're uh, uh, an homage to to Jack Trice. It's a, his oh, the hundred cool. year anniversary to to him him passing away. So yeah, they're they're pretty sweet jerseys. Well, I've never I've never been to a night game at, at Jack Trice. I've watched it on TV a hundred times. It'll be rocking. I, I oh, can't, it's gonna be. I cannot bonkers. wait to be part of that environment. I, It'll I, be. I, I love. I've, I've watched when they beat number two Oklahoma State years ago when they had the thirty year old quarterback Brandon Whedon. I can't remember. Is that was that. Brandon Whedon, but I, yep. I remember that atmosphere and just how loud it gets. And you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. That was my senior night. Have you uh, ever heard the song Juicy Wiggle? <laughs> <laughs> my son probably has. I ha I can't say that I have. I don't they think any, anybody outside of Ames has not, but you will. First touchdown in the second half, you're going to get a party across the Juicy entire Wiggle. stadium. It's a it's a terrible song, but it makes it makes your heart feel warm, and that's what matters. So, in other words, I'm going to be singing it on the way home Sunday. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, we appreciate well, thanks, you having Jeremy. on. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for hopping on with us. We appreciate your time. You bet. Check it. All right, that was Jeremy Clark. Uh, that was fun. I said, I mean, I started started show off a little drawl, but like that's an intoxicating accent. Yeah, no, it is. He. Uh, Knowledgeable dude. I mean, he's been there since 05. So, you know, he's seen some really, really good TCU. Well, so TCU really coming from like little tiny, I mean, it's it's in Fort Worth, so it's not BFE, but like little tiny BFE program to be like national title contender, despite the fact that he got smacked by Georgia. But still, they got there. Nobody yeah. else did. No, that that would be cool to, to cover a team, you know, for as long as he has and to see their ascension from what they were to what they are now. They're obviously a little down this year from where they were last year, but – yeah, super insightful. Um, glad to have him on. Thanks, you know, thanks again for for him jumping on in his time. Um, like I said, try to get Ladinian Tomlinson, but he said LT said no. He said Grant. You know, you know thanks for no thanks. You know what we should have done is uh, Coach Pope coached Ladinian Tomlinson at TCU. Damn, I should have reached out to to uh, Coach Pope. You messed up, man. Yeah, screw that up. Next year. Next year. All right. So. Well, thanks, Grant. Thanks, thanks, Jeff. Thanks again. And uh, for all our loyal listeners who are still listening, remember, adopt, don't shop. <laughs>